Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 57. Today we're interviewing Matt Cremona. He's a self-taught woodworker who's found a niche in taking wood from the tree to the finished project, all in his own hands. He's built a massive bandsaw mill from scratch with no experience whatsoever as part of his sawyering business. We talk with Matt about being laid off and taking his passion full-time and the journey along the way. Matt has over 170,000 subscribers on YouTube, and he has put out a staggering 431 videos since 2015. With his weekly shop updates and project builds, he's grown a loyal following and is now host of the Wood Talk podcast, as well as a key contributor to the Wood Whisperers Guild. We've got a great interview coming out with Matt, but before we get started, we want to thank a few patrons that came on board. We had Mark Placatoris and Ethan Carter. Thanks, guys, for joining. If you want to join the patron squad over there, you can go to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and support the show as well as get some super cool rewards. Go check it out. But without further ado, here's our interview with Matt Cremona. Hey guys, welcome to the show, and we are so excited to have one of our buddies on here who you know from Wood Talk Podcast, but it's on one of our buddies, Matt Cremona. What's up, Matt? Welcome to the show. Hello, Brad. <laughs> Hello. Hey, John's here, too. Hey, I'm John. Yeah. Oh, John. Hi, John. I I'm didn't the, know we were there. Oh. It's weird because I take up like the whole screen, so you don't know what part of me you're looking at, so I understand the difficulty there. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it was uh, before the show. So uh, Matt and Mark and Shannon are over there on on uh, Wood Talk Show. If you're, if you're probably already listening to that, if you're not already, go check that out. But uh, we were talking about the differences between the intros. Matt's like, we're just going to jump right into it. We're like, yes, we're going right into it. Let's go. So, yes, awkward inter- introduction. Check. Now let's Done. talk business. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, Matt. Um, I know you've been around for a while on the on the content side. And it's kind of cool that uh, your story, we were talking about it a little bit, but you've got a, a pretty cool story about going from full time. And so it, why don't you just give us a short walkthrough of what we do like to do is just let people know for somebody who's just hearing about you for the first time, uh, let them know what you do with your business and a little short backstory, just a, a few minutes on that. Sure. Yeah, I'm a content creator. Like, I don't know, like you guys. <laughs> maybe us maybe us it's like who else is a content creator that can use an example oh yeah these guys <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of do what you guys kind of do i do uh the stuff on youtube and instagram i also have my paid content in the wood whisperer guild so it's my instructional videos um i don't know i got started woodworking uh exactly 10 years ago this month which is pretty cool i've been doing that for a decade already and uh, self-taught, just kind of been out in the shop, messing around, uh, consuming as much content online and in magazines and books back then when they, you know, books were a thing. Um, as I could, You're still a thing, Matt. Okay, well, you know what I. Okay, fine. When <laughs> books were like the thing you went to because you couldn't find yes. it on the internet yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I yeah. just want to make sure you knew that the, that books were still out. There. I, don't, I haven't read a book in like I don't even know how many years. Like <laughs> really. Yeah, my wife wow. gives me crap for that all the time. I just don't read books. I don't know. Sorry, I get, sorry, I get sorry to like, interrupt you. Keep, I get keep through going. like four months. <laughs> <laughs> I watch uh, YouTube videos occasionally. I listen to them. Yeah. I cheated. Oh. Digital oh. books. Okay. See? But you don't know that until I tell you. So, I mean, like, you could tell so you people see. you read the book when you're actually listening to it. I mean, it's great. You I sound all so, I think fancy. you're so smart and, like, you read so fast. But but anyway. <laughs> I have someone read it to me. And then I put it on high speed, and it's like speed reading. Yes. See? Yeah. We're all that skilled. Wow. Exactly. All right. See, we've already turned this into wood talk. Let, let's keep, keep, keep going, Matt. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> it's not wood talk until I fall on the floor laughing, and I can't answer the question that I was asked. That's, that's, that's true. That's wood that's talk. True. Okay. <laughs> we'll strive for that. So, so uh, I've been reading books, and then uh, 
and getting into woodwork. Ten years, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, that is, that's that's pretty solid. And and your work. So that's one of the things that I think um, you know is is most impressive to me is the level of your work and that it's all self taught too. So uh, if you're not familiar with Matt's work, I I highly encourage you to go check out his Instagram feed uh, because you can digest a lot of that real quickly. Um, but does a lot of period furniture. So, uh, man, the, the, the high boy and the secretary that you've done, Matt, those are just amazing. The figure and the, the cool thing about it is, is the wood part of it, right? So you're a sawyer. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, right. So I think that's, that's unique. Like, tell us about that part of, of your business. Yeah. So like I got into that, I think as, I don't know. I think a lot of people get into like finding ways to save money on materials. And I think a lot of that, the, the reclaimed wood kind of movement stems from the same uh, places I had for uh, sawing my own lumber, which is just cost savings. So like when I started woodworking, I was a college student and I didn't have access to roughs on lumber and the materials I was buying were from the home center. And I only bought like hardwoods from the home center and that was prohibitively expensive when I'm looking at spending a few hundred dollars on materials for a project versus I still need to buy a router and that's about 200 bucks. So do I do a project or do it buy a router and put it on the shelf and wait for the deck and do a project? So I kind of struggled through that for a couple of years. And then when I had graduated from college, and I started my, my day job. I had a little bit more money. So I bought a jointer and planer. So I was able to buy roughs on lumber from some guy selling on Craigslist that he milled himself. And then I kind of went down this road of, okay, well, if I can do that, why don't I find someone who uh, saws lumber and I can buy it wet from him and I'll dry it myself and figure that out and save some more money. Then I'm like, well, maybe I can just go find my own trees and cut them up myself and save even more money. So it was always driven towards this idea of I need to save money so I can invest money in my shop. And a lot of people look at my shop and they're like, holy crap, look at the money you spent on your shop or how'd you have all this money? I'm like, well, I didn't pay any money for materials over the years so the budget i had for projects went directly back into the shop and i was able to bootstrap it that way that's how i was able to establish those initial machines initial tools in the shop um and then like over the years like i'm like okay maybe i can start selling some of this wood too because i have so much of it so i started selling lumber in uh 2012 i don't do nearly as much of that as i used to because i used to have a lot more time (laughs) <laughs> this is funny because when I had a day job, I had more time for that. And back then I didn't have kids either. So I just had more time in general. Um, so I sold a few thousand board feet a year. I think probably like five to 8,000 a year just out wow. of my shed. Um, I did that for a few years. And then um, and we're talking about like the transition to full time. When I, I got, I went full time content creation in 2015, in the beginning of 2015, because uh, in December of 2014, I lost my day job. I got laid off. Um, and the lumber sales kind of helped to ease me through that transition. So it was I allowed it to kind of taper off. But that taper that, I, that occurred after I went full time kind of helped sustain, you know, living expenses and things as I started to build up the actual content business. But it's been, uh, been fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's awesome, though, that um, I love the idea of, of kind of like working back up the supply chain. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> going back there and it is right because the more work that's involved, the cheaper you can get it typically. Right. And so that's, you know, you go buy a, a board from uh woodcraft and it's an S4S board, your price for per board foot versus buying uh green lumber from somebody on Craigslist is going to be, you know, eight, 10 X, like whatever, it's going to be something drastically higher. So that, that's a really great tip, especially for those yeah. trying to, to get in. Cause I know a lot of our people that are just starting out or are, are trying to look for ways to, to cut money. And if it, obviously it, re- it requires planning though, right? Because yeah. you're getting green lumber. You're not gonna be able to use that for three to nine months, depending upon the sizing of it. Yeah. Right? The, the thing is with that, people always say like, Oh, I got to wait for it to dry. I'm like, well, only the first time. Cause you're going to be kind of ahead of your, you're going to be, your supplies going to be ahead of your demand if you keep doing it. If you only do it once, then yes, you have to wait. But the idea is that as you're drying that lumber, the next step's going to come in. So as you're working on the project from the first lumber, your second batch of lumber is already drying. And by the time you get through that project, you're ready to start the next one, that stuff's dried and you can use that again. So it's just that first time you have to wait. But once you get into the flow of it, you're never really waiting. And the 
biggest thing about making your own lumber and having your own lumber is you're going to end up with a lot of it. So at a certain point, so every single time, every batch, you're going to have a little bit left over. And you're eventually going to have way more lumber than you're ever going to need. You're either going to be able to pick and choose your boards a little more carefully or a little more, I don't know, selectively. Um, you're going to have stock for as many projects as you could possibly do in that year or those two years or whatever. Or you're going to have so much that you might as well sell some of it to make room for a new inventory and make a little bit of money off of it as well. So I love the uh, this concept because it's basically a vertical integration, right? I mean, Absolutely. You're taking, like Brad said, the supply chain and you're bringing it in-house. Um, it's actually a monopoly <laughs> to an extent, but it's, it's, it, it makes, um, your model more monopolistic, right? These are, these are business terms that I, I don't know if I'm using correctly, but learned in school, right? So I, I do like education, vertical integration. That's the, that's yeah, the good one. Yeah. yeah. Vertical integration is yeah. that monopoly is not it, but yes, vertical <laughs> yes. integration. Whoa, 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 whoa. So if he was to bring the entire process in house, I can absolutely see how saving money there would be, uh, something that. Um, would easily be attractive to anybody in our space, right? I mean, we'd all love to have a mill, you know, go just snag down the neighbor's tree, throw it on there. What, in eight minutes you have yourself, you know, gorgeous <laughs> finished walnut slabs. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. That's exactly how it works, yes. <laughs> and they but, just magically transform into money. You don't have to even try and sell them. They just poof. They sell themselves, right? Especially <laughs> if you have a couple YouTube subscribers. But um, the <laughs> the other the I other love your cynicism, it's amazing, <laughs> right? The the other the one the other aspect of this that I find extremely attractive is the resale of hardwoods. Um, I know that there's a lot of our listeners who struggle finding quality uh, lumber in their area. Um, we get it all the time. You know, we're in so and so, we can't find any hardwood. Where do you guys go? And, you know, my typical our typical recommendations are going to be bigger places because we know that they can pull easily from around the country, uh, mm -hmm. like Woodcraft, for instance, as Brad said earlier. Um, but with that, you know, being able to take hardwoods and bring them in-house, one, for, for your milling purposes, but two, for resale, is uh, a, a super advantageous, like, undertaking, right? Because you need to have, um, one, the ability to dry it or store it to dry, mm -hmm. two... If you're going to sell it, you got to be able to, in some easy fashion, uh, show people the lumber. Yeah. You know, you can't just have, you know, let's go out back to the tarp and then six hours later in a forklift, <laughs> you've got, you know, everything laid out in your yard and they buy one board yes. for 40 bucks. Yep. Um, so, you know, walk us through that process for, for you know, when you got started in, and I believe you were said you were selling a little bit of the wood for a, for a minute there. Because I know a lot of us, me being one of them, would love to get into um, the sawyering and then carrying a little bit of inventory on our own. Yeah. And I think I'll mention too, as part of the, the vertical integration concept, one of the things that gives you besides cost savings is absolute control over the materials. So you can get exactly the cuts you want from that log. And you also get a little bit of that backstory. Like there's a little bit more of a story behind your pieces. If you're like, I had this one tree and I can literally just take this piece of furniture and sit next to the stump because I know exactly where this tree came from. Yeah. So you get that you get the story and you get the control, which is which is really cool. Um, you can't get that buying it from someone else, no matter what you do. Unless you buy the whole log or something. Then you can maybe get if you hire a sawyer and you have them sawed exactly as you want, then maybe you kind of get some of that control. But most of the time you're not going to if you're kind of buying it after the fact, after that sawyer's eyes have been on that log. And it's always in their vision of how it's best to be sawn. But you know, one person looks at one thing and does it differently than someone else. So it's uh, that control is definitely cool. Yeah. Um, and, and on the pieces you make, too, I think that's probably even more important, too, because you use uh, for a lot of your drawer fronts and, and the really show pieces, you're using the figured wood, right? So well, being able I'm to using the that garbage. Figure. That's the stuff yeah, well, that, that yeah, traditional what, what sawyers wouldn't even is, touch, yeah. which exactly. is hilarious. So like my favorite uh, section of the trees of the crotch and that is traditionally the waste part of the tree. They would not even consider cutting that as part of the saw log. So when that tree is out in the woods and they cut it down, they'll cut it below the crotch. The crotch stays in the woods to rot because that's not straight grain, which right. is hilarious to me. Yeah, crotch right. is gorgeous. That, because it's harder, it's harder to, um, it's, it's production mentality, yes. right? So yeah. it's like they get rid of that because you have to deal with it differently and, and there's a specific buyer and most of those people are just selling that production, trying to, you know, jam and slam everything they can yeah, through everybody there. Everybody wants their straight grain for their cabinet doors or 
right exactly because they're selling to production facilities who don't want that kind of stuff yeah um exactly that goes back to my my thought on control because most sawyers they're going to saw for grade so they're just going to saw for the best clearest boards possible not necessarily the most figure the most interesting grain patterns they're trying to get the most value traditionally because the straight grain boring stuff uh is priced higher than the ugly stuff so they're trying to saw the cleanest boards possible, whereas you might not want the cleanest boards possible because you don't need a clear board eight feet long. You need cuttings from it that have some visual interest to it. So if you're able to saw that log in a different way that produces more visually interesting pieces of wood, that's more beneficial to you and your business. Yeah. So as, as you as you went down this road and you were sawing and, and making some money off that on the side, and I know you were doing some Internet sales even and um because I, I know some mm-hmm. folks that uh, had bought something from you online and then selling locally as well. Um, when you decided, uh, and this was all like until recently, this was all with like an Alaskan style uh, chainsaw, right? So this wasn't like a, a high production. You were doing this all with, with just chainsaws, correct? So I had three sources of lumber for uh, the sales. The chainsaw mill was probably the smallest supply. That was just like, I would have that here in in the yard because I would like I worked a day job. I wanted to get out of the house at the end of the day. I worked from home. I was inside all day. So I wanted to get outside, do some cutting. I really like chainsaws. Running chainsaws are a lot of fun. So being able to go out there and make a couple of cuts with a chainsaw is was just cathartic to me. I just loved it. Um, the other two suppliers I had, uh, one was the wet lumber that I still bought from before. So I have a, a contact here in, in town that does land clearing. During the day, his family owns a land clearing business. So I would buy stuff from him already milled, and I would dry it here in the basement. Uh, and then the third supply was probably the biggest. Um, uh, I met a, my friend Jim, who has a farm not too far from where I live. And we would go to the farm, and we'd pull out any uh, trees that were down or dying or, you know, kind of, they're not doing too well. And we would have them cut up on a wood miser. So we hired a guy to come in, uh, probably like two or three times a year and just cut up stuff for a day or two. And, and, um, I would sell most of that as well. So gotcha. I had gotcha. three so different that, suppliers. Yeah. So that's actually pretty cool. Uh, because, and I, I was thinking like, man, how <laughs> that would have taken nah. five to 8,000 board feet on a chain salt <laughs> mill. Uh, but <laughs> you know, that goes back to, to show that you can, uh, so if people don't have the space, right. It's like, there's other opportunities. If you can go and partner with local, uh, with other locals who are, you know, like you said, like somebody who has a farm, somebody mm-hmm. who does land clearing business. I know um, a lot of arborists. I know a guy out in Memphis that that's how he got started sawing. Um, he hooked up with an arborist and they were uh, they were taking down trees in Memphis, like inner city. Then they have these huge white oaks, like mm-hmm. massive, massive white oaks. And um, they would take them down and he like had this just yard full of white oaks. And he's like, we, we can't split it enough. Like they're doing it all for firewood. <laughs> And he was like, well, what if I go in on an LT-15, you know, mm-hmm. Woodmiser salt mill? And so anyway, getting into that, like, you know, finding your local contacts, I think that's a great takeaway is that if you're having problems, if you want to get into that lumber and you live in an apartment or, you know, you wherever you live and you're doing work out of a shop that you don't have space to do is you can find other ways to do it. That's that's a really cool takeaway because, you know, you use their resources to help build your business, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, there's an awesome business here in Pittsburgh that does a um, great job of taking trees from urban areas that are either found or being found for uh, development and then reusing those into furniture. And they are on, I want to say, the third floor of an industrial warehouse. Um, <laughs> and they have their sawmills out in the parking lot. Like, so that's cool. You, you can make it work yeah. um, without having a ton of space. Um, and it's something that's intrigued me for a long time because w- when you were touching on the control aspects of um, sawing your own lumber, I mean, you nailed it there. Like I'm, I'm with you and I love defects. I love to see um, like a crotch, for instance, or, um, you know, finding something that like a, like a burl growth or whatever that could possibly add that just visual intrigue on a, on a slab or any type of lumber that you don't typically find at your lumber yard because of all the all the reasons you said before um and i think like right now in design trends that those things are super hot you know if you you can go to a client and say look this is rare because 
Mm-hmm. You know, th- this tree would typically be veneered. And because of that, they would cut this part out. But, you know, they decided to leave it and yada, yada. The uh, the river table that I did, you know, had a massive defect in it. And that typically would be, like you said, discarded, cut off, sawn for uh, and just your standard, uh, standard lumber. And with that, they, you know, saw industry trends. I bought the slab and it turned out to be a gorgeous piece of wood with all kinds of crazy figure and defects and whatever you want to call it in that. Um, so it, it, it gives you an opportunity to use more wood too, uh, because yeah. you're not doing that type of stuff. Um, and I just think that the whole aspect of uh, sawing your own lumber is, is, it's kind of brilliant if you have the time for it, right? Because that's going to be the next level of the equation is, you know, <laughs> it's not a fast process, especially the chainsaw mill, right? No, yeah, I would not. You would have a hard time making money using the chainsaw mill unless you're cutting big old slabs all yeah. the time. Uh, you're not going to be making money cutting boards with a chainsaw mill. No. <laughs> I mean, you're just not. It's just not, it's not efficient at all for that kind of thing. I mean, maybe for fun, maybe for yourself, but I mean, you know, I mean, come on, you're going to take a few minutes to cut a board and you're going to sell it for, I don't know how much it's not, I don't know. It's just not really worth it. But the chainsaw mill is like the the name of the game of chainsaw milling is how do I make the fewest cuts possible to get through this log? And the biggest way to do that is to make less cuts and make thicker lumber. Yeah. So, so playing, let's just run all the way through this chainsaw and we'll kind of come back into some (laughs) of the content stuff. So now uh the the saga <laughs> of the the band salt mill right so now you you have gone the complete other side and tell us about the bandsaw mill that now is residing in your backyard <laughs> so that was it's a really interesting story of or i don't know if it's like that, that interesting but um it was a really interesting time in my life um does that does that i'm really upselling this way too much <laughs> That's a great beginning to a story, though. It's a oh. very interesting time. It was a tale of two cities. It was, <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, so uh, earlier that year before I started building it, I had found a post on Craigslist for these really big logs that were just sitting out in, um, it was like an industrial park thing. Uh, one of the cities in the metro had removed a bunch of yard trees as part of a street widening project. And I guess the owner of one of the businesses around that industrial park uh, somehow convinced the city to leave him the logs because he had wanted to do something with them. Uh, and then, like, I don't know, eight months later, the city's like, yeah, you got to get rid of these things. They're still sitting here and they're an eyesore. So they were just, you know, j- j- massive, massive yard trees. I started picking up the smallest one and then worked my way up from there until the point where I couldn't move them anymore because they're just too big for my equipment. Um, I got them all back here and I'm like, well, I had, uh, I think four five, five logs that were all three feet in diameter or wider. And I'm like, okay. So I went and I bought a, a larger chainsaw. So I got the steel 090, the biggest chainsaw ever made. And mm-hmm. I got a five and a half foot bar for it. I'm like, okay, well I could, I could chainsaw mill all this stuff. That's just fine. And that was, and like in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe I could build a bandsaw mill. Because over the years, like I am not a technical person. I have I have no idea how mechanics of any machines work at all, or I didn't. So over the years, I've seen all these people that are like, they build bandsaw mills. I'm like, this seems way too complicated for anything that I could ever possibly imagine doing. And then I don't know what the heck happened in my mind where I'm like, maybe I can actually do this. So, and I wasn't like, oh, I can actually do this. I'm gonna go buy some plans and do it i was like no let me just make my own design my own and <laughs> go from there because even the stuff that you could buy the plans for they were okay but they weren't i wanted something that could cut really wide like i didn't want to mess around with some little tiny mill because if i want a little tiny mill i just go buy one it's much more cost effective to buy an entry-level mill if you just want to buy if you just want to be sawing up i don't know normal size logs up to normal large which normal large is like two feet diameter it's like normal large it's tiny for me uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Normal large is tiny for me. <laughs> Matt Cremona. There you go. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, I got all these logs in my driveway. Let me try and make the biggest bandsaw mill that that I could possibly make that I, no one else has made. And let me do something even better with that. Let me actually document this really well because there's only there were only a couple of builds on the internet at the time 
that actually had any reasonable amount of documentation to it. And all the little detail information is all scattered all over the place. So there's so many people saying different things, but all these different things. No one actually tells you what works or what doesn't work. It's like, this is probably better than this. Well, probably is not an actual, I don't know, actual explanation. I want an actual, this is why it doesn't work. Here is an actual example of why it doesn't work. Or here is what works, and here's an, exact, an actual example of what does work. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do the best, most documented build ever. I'm going to learn a crap ton about this kind of stuff as I'm doing it. And hopefully, when I get through it, I'll have something that works. And we'll see. And that was a big experiment from like a like I think probably like three or four different perspectives of experimentation. It's like one my own personal experimentation. Can I actually do this? And then the other thing was, can I experiment with the format of my content? And will people watch this? And will it cause this channel to grow? And that was the biggest investment, or I don't know, the biggest reason why I made the financial investment in the parts. And then like the third was well. Oh, that was the third now. I don't even remember what the third one was now. I was on a roll. <laughs> you were. Uh, you had them all laid out. I, I was I was impressed. I thought about this at some point. It must have been too oh, long. Oh, like the learning, right? The learning of actually yeah, putting that, it together and the mechanics oh, of it? It was the, will I get enough views to pay for this thing just with AdSense ah. alone, is what it was. That was the third one. So it was all kind of like a big experiment. So it was a style of content, the AdSense revenue to pay for it, and then like my own personal growth. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's it, like looking back at that and really looking at your channel and what you were doing. So you're doing mainly like hardcore woodworking, showing techniques, like really, you know, hand tools type techniques. So chiseling, uh, you know, doing bow tie inlays, mm -hmm. resawing, like doing all those things that are really cool. Then you're like totally shifting gears. So I think that, I mean, that is like really a, a, I mean, it, it's a cool look at it. So like people who are in their business, right? So if we have people out there and they're like, man, you know what I would really love to do? And they have this passion but it's not, it doesn't fit in the nice little box of what they're currently doing. And yep. you kind of saw that. And, and instead of shying away from it, looked at these different ways to say, okay, well, I could, what, you know, what if I got views? Like, how, how can I make this thing pay for itself? And then like, as, as you did all that, um, how did it go? Like when you were starting out and you started doing it, like, what was the response? I mean, and, I remember when you did that and I was like, what? He's going to build a, a what now? What are we talking here? How many, how big can this thing actually go? How many logs? It's like 12 feet tall, right? It's insane. Tall? Oh, it's like 10 feet tall. The carriage is, well, the carriage is nine feet tall. It's about a foot off the ground. So about 10 feet. Yeah. So how there. wide of us of a log can you actually mill with, with your van? So spoiler alert, he, he did build it. Oh yeah. It, it happened. It, it's done. Uh, yeah. It cuts uh 77 inches wide. 77 which would be really it'd be a tight fit because that's the blade guys are designed to go past the the uprights of the carriage so you literally have to get the log to go between the uprights of the carriage for the cut to work but theoretically that's the maximum cut width that you could do on that saw it's like kicking a field goal yeah yeah so what except the ball's not moving and the field goals are moving so, <laughs> uh, sports <laughs> yes so so, uh, yeah, so you, you did this, you, you went on your channel, you started building it. Like what, what was the response? Like how did that pay off? Like when you said, okay, I'm going to see if I can fund this thing. Did it pay off? And uh, cause I know you documented it very well Yeah. and you're actually still documenting it for, because now you're, uh, selling plans. Yeah. And that was like, it was another thought in the back of my mind was like, maybe I'll make the plans for it and we'll see if people actually buy them. That was like another thing, but Kind of going into it, people were excited and there were a lot of people that were like, I don't know, not necessarily they weren't excited. They just didn't believe that it would work or that it would happen or that there's haters. They're, they're, not, they're not necessarily haters. Disbelievers. Dis, yes, I, I call guess. those haters. Oh, yeah. OK, fine. Well. I heard the haters are going to hate, hate, hate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just what I heard. Yes. <laughs> So there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of that, but it was also a lot of encouragement along the way. And it, that just that series of videos really grew my channel and really grew the audience. It grew me personally. And I also uh, experimented with changing my video format for that entire series. And as part of that, I was trying to change the overall feel of the videos and the overall, um, I don't know, I guess target audience in a sense because i wanted 
I wanted a faster way to put my videos together and I wanted to get away because I wanted to go from, from voiceovers. I didn't really like voiceovers personally doing them. I hated doing them for one because I hated writing the script and then reading it. If you listen to Wood Talk, you know, I cannot read anything written <laughs> sitting in front of me for my to save my life. So the voiceovers would take me a long time. They're really frustrating. And I sounded kind of bored the whole time because I'm just reading off a script. And I hated the story. The stories were all past tense. It was me telling you a story about something that I did. What I wanted it to be was a, I wanted the story to be us doing it together. I wanted the videos to be us in the moment doing these things together. That's present tense is, is the actual, is what I wanted. So I changed the whole, my entire video making process from, let me just record what I'm doing and then cut it together later and add some voiceover to, let me talk to the camera, let me walk you through the process and let's do this together. And it was more engaging content. I really wanted the, the I guess the brand to be me. You're hanging out with me. We're in the shop. We're doing whatever together. That was the direction I wanted to go. So the band thumbnail videos are shot like that. And that was my experiment as to would people be receptive to that? Would people like that? And would I like it too? And well, that's the way I do my videos now. And it's worked out pretty well, I think. So I'm, I'm happy. And they come together. The editing goes a lot faster too because it's literally just cut it together. And if I have any voiceover, I record it at in that moment. It's already done. I just overlay my video clips over my voiceover section, me just like talking to the sky or whatever. And it, just, it cuts together so much faster. The videos are longer, but that's my target audience because I'm trying to target the people that want the longer videos more in depth because that's what I'm selling in the guild. Yeah, yeah. I dig it. I mean, there's a lot of us uh, content creators that try to dabble with both. You'll see, you know, on camera presence with explanation of what's happening in the moment and then voiceover in integrated into it mm -hmm. somewhat or complete voiceover and vice versa. Um, I think it's interesting your take on that with the storytelling aspect, because I mean, that is a hugely um, valuable part to what us as content creators are trying to do. Yeah. It's, it's tell a story, it's get engaged and, and, and uh, evoke uh, emotion with the the viewers or listeners or whatever it might be. So um, I really, I really like how you just said, screw it, I'm changing it and I'm doing it on this project. Cause it, it's not as easy as it seems. Like Brad and I have oh, had no. this conversation a ton. And for me, I'm like, that's how I would like my content to be. But the way my contracts are structured for sponsors, like there's so much more that goes into it than it just mm -hmm. seems on the surface in this conversation. Cause you've got a lot of obligations, especially for us that are monetizing outside of specifically YouTube. Um, that, you know, could somewhat affect that kind of format. And uh, mm -hmm. so in that, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's ridiculous how big this thing is one. But uh, on top of that, you know, uh, what what type of welding experience did you have? Because I, I remember when I first <laughs> saw you start getting into this, I was like, I was like, man, th this this dude's got some grit because this is a massive project. And I was like, i I, I, I admire him. So, you know, like when, when you got into it, you said, so you had zero experience with <laughs> building or understanding machines. What type of metalworking experience did you have? I, I had uh, done my trailer. I did my, uh, lo my log loading arch on the trailer. That was my first welding project. And then my second welding project was a bandsaw mill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My, my first was a side table. I finished my second, which was a, a tube steel desk that had seven parts to it. So, you know. Yeah, kind of kind of similar. You were doing like a <laughs> scratch start TIG on that too, right? Just got real deep in like all the, the all stick, all stick, yeah, yep, all <laughs> stick, love stick. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're welding out, you did most almost all of it outside welding, I would assume. Uh, yeah, I can I, do. I, I'm I not going to do it in the wood shop. Yeah, so I, I've, yeah, that's a, a a great way to go about it. It's just such an impressive like beast. I'm looking at the thumbnail for the plan right now. Um, oh yeah, these have recently <laughs> come available, and I'm just like, my goodness. I'm a large yes. man, and the scale of this thing is <laughs> is enormous. It's we gotta get impressive. you to come out here and stand next to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, or I'll just like a normal bear hug some logs. To it. A lot of it, it looks bigger because I'm tiny standing next to it. Yeah, I, and you have like a normal sized person standing next to it. It's not nearly as impressive, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably sells plans right there. So when you you launched, you went through the plans. Oh and, yeah, and that was what is and I know you have you have multiple. What is the official? Uh, is it big sawmill? What is what is the official website? No, giantbandsawmill.com. Giantbandsawmill.com. Yeah, so you can go, guys. You go check that out. <laughs> go check out if you're looking to build a giant bandsaw mill. Uh, you should definitely go check that out. But 
when you finish that up, how how has that side of it been going? Has that been worth the investment of putting the the time into the plans? Yeah. Um, so that that was like a almost more of an undertaking than actually building the thing. Those plans. So I was. Oh yeah, I, I feel like you were talking about building the, those plans for a year. Yeah. So my friend Dima was going to like help me out with that. Well, he did help me out, but like the idea we had going into it was. I started building the mill in mid-August 2016, and in July, him and I kind of went together, and we kind of put together some kind of initial uh, plan for like the bed, and we started working on the carriage, and the idea was that, okay, well, as we're figuring out the design stuff, we'll get that stuff drawn and everything, um, and I'll be working kind of ahead of that. So I'm figuring it out, I'm building it, and then we're designing, and I'm building whatever we're designing ahead of it. So the idea was to have the design ahead of me building, and then... He changed jobs and suddenly he's working a lot more hours and he's doing some more things. He doesn't have time to do that as much. So I'm I'm sitting here now. I'm just building and there's no plan. There's nothing besides what I'm doing in my mind. And <laughs> eventually, like I got it functional uh, in December, and we're like, yeah, let's work on these plans again. We got some time, and it was like this back and forth, back and forth thing for like a year and a half. We went back and forth on it. Because like our availability of times to work on it were like not overlapping. So he would spend like some hours on it, send me some stuff to look at. It would take me like three weeks to get to it and look at it and go through it and send it back. And it'd be like this, these chunks of time between us working on it because we're both busy with other stuff. Um, so we finally got them like done-ish to the point where they're like good enough to sell. I still am working on actually prototyping some of the stuff I never did. Because uh, I just wanted to get it running. I'm not too worried about like everything being perfect at the time. But I'm like, now I really want to make sure that I actually take the time to prototype exactly what's in these plans. So if someone actually builds this, they're not going down this dead end that could possibly be there. So I'm still working through that. But in the like 18 months since I had it functional to the time that I actually released the plans, I had I was inundated with people asking me for plans for this thing. <laughs> it was like almost to the point of annoyance. I'm like, okay, yes, uh, yes, I'm gonna have plans, yes. And then like it gets really bad when the same people start following up with you like months later. And you're like, hey, I would like to build your mill. Uh, do you have those plans? And <laughs> uh, so along the way, I'm like, God, people better buy this because this is a lot of work. Yeah. And if no one buys <laughs> this, oh god, this is a to- this is a big loss for me. But it's been really good. People actually bought these things, and there are some people actually building it as well, like actually working on building it now in the moment, which is just incredible. Uh, I had someone stop by uh, last week to like just take a closer look at it because he bought the plans. He's gonna be building it later on in a couple of months. So it's just just a cool thing to think that like this thing that I came up with in my backyard, people actually see value in that, and they're actually going to build that. So it's been so that part alone has been really rewarding and. Uh, Barely, I don't know, it was profitable yet because how much is my time worth to build these plants, put these plants together? But, you know, I made, I'm making money. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. net positive. It, it, you also have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you also have so much content for them supplementary, right? So you got the yeah. plans, which how many pages are the plans? Like, they're 100, 134 pages. pages. Oh, golly day. That's just the plans. 134 yeah. pages. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. So 134 pages plus hours i'm sure of video between all the different videos that you made yeah, of you it get, on your youtube channel so you have something that, that no one else has been able to provide with bands on depending on it you can and it's, it includes information on how to scale so if you don't want a giant one you want a small one we have a page that tells you all of the components need to change depending on whatever cut width you want to change by which is super nice and if someone's going into that that's want to make a smaller one they literally can watch the videos of me doing the exact build or pretty close to it seeing all the struggles of what it's like to build it and one of the things i did with the build intentionally was use basic tools i didn't go out and buy fancy tools because i wanted to well for one i wanted to learn like the struggle learn the struggle you know live through that (laughs) and then i also wanted to at least inspire people to the fact that they don't necessarily need to spend the thousands of dollars on um you know machining tools or just general metalworking tools to do this i did it with a crappy benchtop drill press which i still use a handheld drill and a welder angle grinder and a metal circular saw which is like under 100 bucks so like for like four or five hundred dollars in tools you build your bandsaw mill yeah that's incredible yeah. And, and what uh so what sort of investment in materials you got there i spent about eight and a half thousand 
So for a bandsaw of that size, to put it in perspective, to buy that would cost you what? Uh, they have cheaper ones now, which is funny because like after I built mine, like some of the other companies start coming out with uh, mills that are wide cutting. But when I built it, the comparable one was the the Hudson the Hudson Oscar sixty, which cuts five feet wide and was forty five thousand yeah. dollars. That was the cheapest one. Because so the entry level mills are going to run you around that eight k, like you yeah. said we're talking about before. So you know for that investment, the time. Um, and all of the experimentation, um, you were able to get something that's, you know, professional width size monster that you get to you know, snuggle up on and cut yourself some, <laughs> and, some and, delicious, and heavier built than the ones you would buy cookies. too. Yeah. yeah. And, and electric motor and so cleaner running and all that stuff. That That's pretty awesome. But, but I think that's a cool segue into this has been fun i like the whole like this just turned into matt's bandsaw conversation it's probably not where we saw this people going, like talking about it. it's fine it's- yeah it is and i think there's a lot of great learnings from what you did in the experimentation and just going headlong into it and and expanding your business we've because we've had some questions recently about that how do i expand my business uh if it's not something that i'm currently doing and that that's a great you know i think this story is awesome and it's going to give people a lot of ideas but uh the other side of it so rolling that in to all the content that you're giving them. Um, once you hit on the, the Wood Whisperer Guild, because that is the same type thing, long form content, paid content, except on uh, the more traditional woodworking side yeah. where you're building an actual furniture project. Can, you know, w- Walk us through a bit what's going on there, how you got hooked up, well, not how you got hooked up with Mark, but how, how it got started with the uh, that actual process and what that looks like for you and and you know what have you seen as a... As, uh, benefits and struggles out of it yeah it's been that's been a heck of a learning experience in itself as well but it's been very good and um it's worked out really well for me so like it's it's really really bizarre how it actually all kind of fell into place which is just it's just mind-blowing so when i went when i lost my job i'm like okay let me try and see if i can make a living doing this my idea for my business model was literally like paid content Let's do this whole paid content thing. Let's do the instructional videos that I would then sell. So when I went full time, I had 14,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel, which I'm like, that's not nearly enough to, to sell to, to market to. So I spent about, I don't know, like for six months or eight months or so of my full time time doing content creation, making YouTube videos that were highly searchable and hopefully brought in that audience that's looking for uh, answers. I wanted those to, to kind of sell the idea that I was actually knowledgeable, not that I could just build a piece of furniture, but that I can actually explain things and um, break down these concepts that might seem a little more I don't know, difficult at first. So that's like, I started my Ask Matt series. So it's literally like questions people are asking me, there must be some people out there searching for these things. So those were highly searchable. And to this day, those are still my top performing videos month to month. They outperform some of my new videos sometimes, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, and they're like what, three and a half years old now. So that allowed the channel to kind of grow and start build momentum. And then I'm like, okay, I'll start, I was thinking like later in the, on in that year, I'll start my first, uh, uh, you know, class or whatever online. And in July, I got an email from Mark asking me if I wanted to do a guild project. And I'm like, this is kind of surreal because I like grew up in woodworking watching Mark stuff. And he knows who I am and he wants me to come and teach in his guild, which is, that's just weird because I've been watching his guild stuff for, you know, since he started it. Um, and his, his proposal to me was actually very, uh, very reasonable and almost, almost like too much in my favor, I think, which is it's just, it's just weird because as I'm thinking about like, all right, so I got to produce the content and I got to create the website to host it and do all the stuff that goes with it. And I got to market all the stuff and I have to find a new audience to buy this content. Mark's presented me with that, with this, um, this opportunity to literally, he'll take care of all the other stuff. All I have to do is produce the content and it already goes into his guild that already has people there that historically have paid for content or have bought those products in the past. So... From a business perspective, there's like no way in my mind that it would ever make sense to go out and do my own thing. The only difference would be it's not my name on the door, which, okay, I don't really care that much, to be honest. Um, it's been super good. The The first project I did, 
also I still did with the voiceovers too. So it was a lot of work. And I started filming that one and my second one ahead of the release schedule. So I had all the content shot and then I edited it afterwards, which was a huge disaster. And it was a lot more work (laughs) because it's like, all right, I recorded this like six weeks ago and that's already done. So this is all the footage I have. If I need a B-roll for something, there's no chance of me getting it now. And I got to write those scripts all the time. And it was just mentally, it was a lot of work to get through all of that. And what was happening kind of behind the scenes at the time was I had just had a kid that July when Mark uh, contacted me and I started doing the first guild project in December. And my wife had went back to work in uh, uh, September. Yeah, in September. So I was watching my son full time and trying to build a YouTube business and trying to build guild content. And mentally it was just, it was exhausting. Um, so for my first guild project, I was doing that when I was like half half asleep or half awake, whatever you want to say, because it was like literally the middle of the night. I had to be up with my kid in like three hours to feed him. And it was it was rough. Like I was not sleeping very much. And it was just I don't know how I got through. It's all a blur, which is probably probably <laughs> good because yeah, I would not recommend that to anyone working nights and then waking up at. Uh, I worked like four or five in the morning and I'd be up at like eight in the morning to feed my son and watch him all day, wait for my wife to come home. We'd have dinner and then back to work again. It was not, <laughs> it was not good. Uh, it's like working the grind, man. I mean, trying to launch something new and, and I'm sure like you had that opportunity, right? And so you were, you were probably putting that above all else just to make sure that it was successful and that, because yeah. that, like you said, I mean, that's a, an awesome opportunity to get in front of a new crowd and a crowd that is already primed, like you mentioned, you yeah. know, like they're, they're already used to paying for content. That's the biggest, that's the biggest struggle for content creators getting past the you know, quote unquote paywall mm-hmm. is like getting people to stop digesting free content and actually pay you for value added content above and beyond that. So I, yeah. I can imagine, right. You're like, that was whatever, that was whatever it takes. Even the hardest know. part too, because they, they have an expectation of quality at that point. If oh yeah. If you're so paying you the for first, it. you were the first, right? You were the first non Mark <laughs> guild member. I know he's, yeah. he's bringing on several folks now, but uh, yeah. So that was probably even more so on your uh, weight on your shoulders of yeah. meeting was, his expectations. It was there all of that. Yes. It was like, oh, I'm the first ones. So this has to work. I know like I've watched his builds. I know how the quality level that he's at. I need to be, I don't know if I, I need to be pretty darn close to that to even pull this off. So there was a lot of torments in my mind about just going through the edits and making sure that everything was perfect. And it was just hilarious because when I go back and watch that build, I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, I, I get the, the content's good, but my presentation, I was not quite there with the, the camera presence yet at that point, clearly. <laughs> and I was definitely not that sure of myself because I talked really slowly and not quite. I, was, I, def, I didn't seem like I was that sure of what I was saying which I don't remember that at the time. I'm like, oh, this seems pretty good. And, and it, it's grown quite a lot. Cause like now, uh, like, well, back then, like I would send my final edit to Mark and Mark would actually like cut some more stuff out of it that didn't need to be there. And he'd add the music and add the titles and all that. Now I send him a finished video file and he just posts it, but it's been quite the uphill battle with like the learning experience for me. And Kind of going back to the backstory, we got a nanny. I finally had enough money to hire a nanny in, in March. So thanks to the people who ordered the sofa table back in the day, I was able to have some money to fund some more time to work. So we had a nanny that came in about only part-time, like 20 hours a week. So I would have 20 hours a week to actually work on stuff. And then well, I was still trying to work nights as well, but at least I had that time. And then after the bandsaw mill started, is when I actually started having a nanny full-time. So now I actually have dedicated time to work full-time during the week, which is super, super nice. I don't have to balance, like, you know, not sleeping at night as much, which is super nice. Um, <laughs> sleep is good. Yeah. <laughs> sleep is good. <laughs> but the, the guild has been a really good learning experience from that style of content creation to, like, what the actual expectations have been. So... When I did the high boy, I didn't realize it when I started it, but that was like the biggest blunder that I could possibly do for you know, like that style of content or from that that model because it was just too much. 
for I don't know for what for what you're what you're supposed to get there in the guild, I guess, because it was just, this is too much. It's literally it was literally two guild builds for one. So I had I don't know how many hours in that thing, but it took me like nine months to produce all that content. It's 36 videos that are all instructional, all in depth about building that piece. And the typical builds are more like 18. An 18 video build is kind of a big one in the guild. And that's just an absolute monster. So, so it taught, it taught me down. a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> I took a loss on that one because I was working a lot. The, the idea with... the other, Okay, so stepping back again, the other added benefit of the thing with Mark was that we were able to put both of our efforts into one place. So Mark at the time was producing three guild builds a year, and he wanted to produce that so we had more time to do other things. And... I didn't think about it at the time. I'm like, okay, I could just be making builds all the time on my own, doing that all the time. I didn't realize that the absolute time commitment and time involvement of doing those builds. So when I was thinking about doing my own thing, I'm like, okay, I did like three or four a year, no problem. It should be pretty easy. But I'm like, I totally forgot about the whole idea. Like, well, I still have to do all the other things I want to do. If I want to still grow the YouTube channel, I still got to be producing content there. So anytime I do that. So with Mark and I together, we're able to produce four uh, builds in the guild but that's only two each each year. So we would have a few months on the guild and then the rest of the time we could work on the free stuff and then back on the guild and work on the free stuff again. So in theory, we're spending, you know, maybe half and half, maybe a little less than that, depending on the project in the guild. So just having that kind of flow figured out is, is, is really good. Uh, now, now that I'm in doing my fifth guild build, I'm still able to produce the guild content and produce the YouTube stuff at the same time because I've kind of figured out the flow of things and it's just been a learning experience because once you get the groove and you figure out the expectations of what projects you should be making for that audience and, you know, how long it's supposed to take you and you get a little better at making the content, it goes a lot faster and it's a lot more efficient. So now I'm not struggling nearly as much as I did when I built the high boy, because when I did the high boy, I literally didn't have that break where I could spend time on my YouTube stuff. So I went from high boy directly into waterfall tables. They overlapped, which was, I would not recommend that ever to anybody, even worse than anything. And then I finally got down with the waterfall tables and then I'm free to do some other stuff again. So that was almost a year doing just stuff in the guild and only having like, the escape for me was to produce a video on YouTube. It was like, okay, I cannot be doing another guild video right now. I need to do something else with my mind because I'm just going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, like, I, I dig the the evolution there. I think it's like super impressive, like how fast all of that happened for you too. Um, we get a lot of our listeners that are not like put off, but they're hesitant to jump into content creation. And And for you to say something like, you know, I look back on my first guild video and uh you're like wow it's terrible you know it's more like you know it, that's such a highly regarded aspect of our community is mark's guild you know all of us look at it the same way you described it as was like you know i can, can't even imagine how flattered you felt when he reached out to you mm -hmm. but in that you know you just jumping in and, and doing it and not you know having the perfectly you know pristine finished product at the moment um i think that shows a lot of our listeners and people that want to get into content production and creation that you can still perform at a high level, even if you do have not every single little itty bitty part figured out. Um, and, and that's a prime example there is that you jumped, you know, right into it, produced a really quality piece of work um, that's not up to the standard you have now. But if you would have never had the confidence to actually do it, you wouldn't be where you are at, at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it all takes practice. It's like everything in life. Yeah. And, and it's 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 weird because a lot of us look at content production and video and photo and all the things that go into it. Um, we don't look at it that way. We're like, Oh my goodness, there's so many great people out there on YouTube and, and Instagram and whatever. I'm never going to be up to that standard. I'm just never going to do it. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. And, and, you know, we advocate to just make a video or, or get started all the time on the show. But you're a prime example of like Mark calls you to be in the guild. You're not going to say no. <laughs> you know, even if your product isn't completely done, you're not going to be like, oh, no. Why would I want to be in your guild, Mark? So like uh, great example there for all of our listeners who want to get into content production or basically anything. You know, you can do it and perform at a high level, even if you don't have uh, a finished 
you know, pristine product to what your standards may be at the time, um, you know, getting it to as, as good as you can possibly get it done, it will still be very, very good. Yeah. Um, I mean, my first videos were literally just practice for me to get into the shop with a camera and just start recording myself. I started my shop update uh, January 2014. It was just a way for me to get better at the camera. I had always wanted to make videos. For like years, I wanted to make videos. And every single time I tried, I tried to talk to the camera. And for some reason, I just floundered the whole time. I could not get anything out. So I'm like, finally, I'm like, let's just try this thing. I'll just put the camera up. I will literally just talk about what I did that week. And as easy as that sounds, oh my goodness, that was very hard, very painful and ridiculous. And like, I think the final like shop update videos are like five minutes of me, like slowly talking my way through stuff. And the, like the raw is like 25 minutes of me, like stuttering and floundering the whole time. But I just kept at it and I kept doing it. And I still do it to this day. And it's still been, and it's always, it's always been just a way for me to practice speaking and just kind of share my thoughts and, and that format has evolved over the years, but I started doing that. I told no one about it. I just started posting them and started, people started watching them. I don't know why. And it just kind of grew from there. <laughs> and like all of a sudden, like, okay, so people are watching my shop updates. They want to see some build videos. So, okay, let me start making those. And then uh, David Pacito shared my first build video on his uh, weekly woodworking wrap-up review back in the day. And then that just like, it just kind of launched it from there. So it's been it's been uh been quite the ride. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love the idea about you're like I, I didn't tell anybody. Like you just got like <laughs> my wife was them so out pissed at me. She you're was like, so pissed like... when she found out. She's like, you didn't tell me this. We we have like marriage based on trust, and you won't tell me these things. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> we have a marriage based on trust, and you've got a YouTube channel. Well, the craziest thing is like my mom found out about it because my cousin like found my video somehow of me talking to it and he was like talking to my mom about my YouTube videos and she's like I don't he doesn't do YouTube videos I would know I'm his mom I would know if he does YouTube videos <laughs> and we were going to my parents house that weekend and we were in the car I'm like oh god I gotta tell my wife about this she's gonna kill me because if I don't tell her in the car it's gonna be way worse if my mom tells her oh man that was a rough car <laughs> I so I I love that it's like the, the this is not like like you're talking about this like it's you know uh, like a, a heroin addiction. Like I, I got to tell her about this. Like, or, you know, I, I, I cheated on her. I've got this. Like, honey, I, I know this is going to be hard, but I've got a YouTube channel. Like, <laughs> I've been doing it for three months now. <laughs> Sneaking into the basement uh, to to record I like, videos. I have like twelve of videos working out. wood. Like, yeah, that, so, that, that's probably the best uh, surprise conversation to to pop on your wife but that's true. Um, it could have been way worse <laughs> yeah 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 that's probably low low down there but i, I love that the fact that it's that that barrier to entry um or just dipping your foot in the water and uh i know like what john and i talk about a lot is obviously um trying to get going as fast as you can and to social media and promoting yourself and and getting in front of as many eyeballs as you can but i love that flip side of that is like hey if you just want to, you know, just start doing it and wait until you start asking for people to come view until you feel comfortable, like instead of just practicing and doing nothing with it, mm -hmm. practice and put it out there and make it uh, so that it's completely organic, right? You're not pushing it. You know, maybe you've got an Instagram channel and you're not even putting it on there uh, and until you feel comfortable doing that. And then you can go back later and say, Oh, hey, by the way, I've been doing YouTube for the last three months and, uh, you know, I I'm ready to share this build with you guys because I've learned all this and I, yeah. I feel more comfortable. So I think that's a really cool way to look at it, that if, you know, if you are weary about getting in front of the camera, um, because I think not having that footage or, or doing it and just practicing, you know, there's almost like a loss there. Right. If you're just out there and and, and acting like you're making the video or recording it and not publishing it like mm -hmm. you're losing out. Because like you said, you know, people started following you when you were brand new, didn't know what you're doing. You didn't even feel confident enough to tell your <laughs> wife about it, <laughs> but people started watching you. Yeah. Right. So there, there's a lot, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be learned there because there's other people who, you know, people give you a lot of grace, especially when you're starting out because they're like, oh, look at like they, they love that you're putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a lot of it.
Yeah, it's not as it's not as hard to it's harder to get started than it is to uh, deal with everything after the fact. Right. You know, like once you once you get into it, you find a rhythm, things start working, you find out what's working, you continue to do that. You work on the other things and they continue to go. And I think that's like any skill set in life, you know, like uh, whether it's applicable to woodworking, your videography, photography, you know, being a good you know, uh, spouse or whatever it might be like. It's all consistent work. It's just getting started on the, on the right path. Um, and I really dig that like evolution of, you know, you, you essentially you build a massive sawmill because back in the day you wanted to saw your own wood to use for your own and make a couple bucks selling it. And now it's become a massive part of your brand. And it's, it's why we probably focused on it. Most of this show is that, you know, like it's, it's a large part of, of what uh, is assimilated with you know, the, the Matt Cremona brand. And it's because it was such a massive undertaking. But like Brad said, if you didn't record or document any of it, and you just day one were like, I'm going to build a sawmill and day, you know, 700 when it was done, you just, hey, it's done. No one would have really cared, you know, bringing people along for the journey. <laughs> it would, it's, it's a much different feel and a vibe. Um, and I think it, it plays, it, it plays into what a lot of the social media moguls and all of these coaches and everyone out there are saying about documentation. Um, yeah. in our episode with Alex Steele, we talk about it and his channel is absolutely just, flying off the radar um, with with how fast it's growing, but it's complete documentation. Um, you can pick up skills and tips and stuff there on, on what he's doing, but it's all in that in that uh, type of layout that, that you were speaking of. And there's a ton of value there. Um, and a lot of us enjoy the process more than, you know, the just finished product um, showcase. So I really dig it. And I, <laughs> as you touched on earlier, you're not the biggest guy. And to build something that huge, I was like, <laughs> I, the Cremona's, I texted Brad whenever you were, you did like a scale size photo of it. And I was like, dude, Cremona's, <laughs> Cremona's a beast. Like, look at this mill that he's making. And and it's like, oh, yeah. and you're in a rough part of the country when it comes to weather and stuff too. So there, oh, yeah. it was just super impressive build, man. And I know we stuck on it a lot here, but for our listeners, there's a ton you can take away from something like this project. That, that Matt undertook. Yeah, man. It, it, we loved hearing about that, Matt. One of the things we like to ask folks on the show uh, before they go is if you have any advice for our listeners, whether advice that you would give to somebody just starting out or something you wish you had have known when you just started out, you know, what would be something, whether it's from the business side, the building side, uh, or just getting started? Uh, I guess I have answers for both of those questions, I guess. Ripple, uh, man. So I guess... Something I wish I would have known going into it is like I, I knew content creation would be like a, like a good amount of work. I definitely underestimated the grind. It's 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 nuts. It, it nonstop all the time. It's like your life and you like never get a break from it if you want to keep going. And everyone says consistency, consistency, consistency is a grind, man. It's <laughs> it's nuts. It's like it's hard. So it's it's difficult. I will. I will never say that content creation is an easy job. It is a fun and rewarding job. Definitely not easy, like at all. And I mean, I think for people that are like trying to get started, if you're trying to grow something or you're trying to have some end goal in mind, have the end goal in mind and actually have a strategy you're trying to follow to get to that point. And really think about what you're doing in like every aspect of your business as you're kind of getting it going. Because here's another thing I wish I would have known. The adage that you will drown an opportunity, so extremely true. You will drown and flounder and flop around all over the place because you'll say yes to everything. And you'll be like, why did I say yes to this? It does not benefit my end goal. And I have all these other things going on, which would be better suited for me to do with my time. You only have so much time. Stop saying yes to everything. You will regret it. I love that piece of advice, Matt. That, that is, is something that we, we are. It, it is true, right? Like you get going. And uh, it's it's the same thing. I know like back back when I was a young buck and like I didn't have a date, you know, I didn't have a date for like two months. And then all of a sudden it was like I had like not there's like all of a sudden three girls that were like available. I'm like, what, what? Why is this like when it rains, it pours type thing? Same thing. Like you, you're starting out as a as a content creator. You're not getting any deal. You know, you're just waiting for that one deal or whatever. Like, oh, somebody can, you know, somebody will actually pay me money to make a video for them. And then the next thing you know, you're like exactly what you do. Like you're under the gun. You've yeah. got five deals that you got to execute on by the end of the month. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> this yeah. is this is crazy. So having that filter 
uh, and having that end goal in mind and evaluating each opportunity via that. I mean, that's that's actually probably a great show topic that we need to hit on because, um, you know, when to say no and, yeah. and I think not always to say yes to everything. Going with, so as an aside with the, with the whole deals and the brand deals and stuff, I think people tend to jump into those a little too early. Like yes. when I was getting started and people were starting to send those my way, they're like, oh, we'll do, we'll put that, you can do a mention or whatever and we'll pay you 200 bucks. I'm like, eh, I don't think so. My, that's not really my, I guess my cost or whatever people were willing to pay me was not to the point where I was actually willing to do those deals because if they would have, if I would have taken those deals and put those ads in those videos, they would have gotten a hell of a deal because those videos are performing so well over the last, I don't know, whatever three years has been $200 for over a hundred thousand impressions. Are you kidding me? No, I mean, it's, right. it's not, you're just not to that level yet. So don't be, a, I mean, I was lucky. I was blessed because I didn't have to, generate as much income as someone who's kind of alone in the world trying to make rent or make ends meet because my wife was working. So I had the opportunity to be a lot more strategic about the things that I did because I wasn't just trying to get the money at the end of the day. I was, I had the bigger vision that I saw in my mind and I didn't have to do all those little things just to get by, I guess. But you know, everybody's situation is different, but don't necessarily jump in everything because someone's suddenly willing to pay you, you know, a little bit of money. Yeah. I dig it. Great advice. Man, just, just crushing it at the end of the show. I told you it takes you a while to warm up. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping the knowledge bombs all in there. (laughs) Love it, man. Well, dude, we have loved having you on the show and, and talking and uh, hopefully we can get to see you again. It's been a while since we've uh, been able to hang out in person. So hopefully we'll get a chance to hear uh, coming up this year or into next year, man. So we yeah. really appreciate you having to having you on the show. Buddy. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, man, it was a blast. All right. Well, if you want to know more about Matt, we'll have uh, some info here soon in just a minute. But Matt, thank you so much, dude. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Hey, man, I love that Matt started all of this in college. He's just continued to grow his business further and further. It's just so cool to see somebody stay dedicated to the craft that way. Yeah, I love his ambition um, and how he's just not scared at all to try new things and go all in. And you know that I love giant bandsaw. So <laughs> that, that thing is, is awesome. awesome. <laughs> I so want to see that in person. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Make sure you check out the show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 57 for links to Matt's website, the Instagram and YouTube channels and plans for the giant bandsaw. Yeah, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Made for Profit. If you want to keep up with what we're doing on a daily basis, drop us some questions and engage with the MFP tribe. Absolutely. All right, we're going to knock out this after show now, man. Let's go do it. Let's do it. 